I think for Munster, for them, in order to get a performance and a result, they need to concentrate on how well they've played over the last eight weeks since that kind of post Six Nations win. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. The News Round on Off The Ball with Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Now then, you're welcome along. lot going on in the world on this Monday evening. We had a fitting finale to the 2022 Premier League season with a very familiar outcome. Manchester City champions for a fourth time in five years. Philippe Claire is on the show, Pat Nevin on the show. We will also ask Philippe about the Mbappe contract extension as well for a gazillion euro and La Liga are not happy. They're threatening complaints and they're going to sue. I don't know who they're going to sue, but they're uh, making complaints to UEFA about the whole situation. But Mbappe is staying. Uh, Philippe with us this hour, Pat Nevin between 9 and 10. We're five days out from European Cup final in rugby as well as football. Jay Thornley, Fiona Hayes and Monday Night Rugby. We will touch on the hurling as well in the next hour and the US PGA caught fire, you would have to say, uh, after being dull-ish for three and a half rounds it caught fire in the final couple of hours last night in Oklahoma 53106 the text number we're at off the ball on Twitter Anne-Marie Donlan here in studio hello hi Joe and Dave McIntyre with us as well evening guys how are we we are very well so I think we all had the experience yesterday of Etihad Anfield generally I would say watching the Man City game because that was the uh, decisive one and then when Villa went 2-0 up suddenly realising that Liverpool had to resolve their business over at Anfield, flicking over to that game and then missing a whole bunch of the Man City goals. Am I right, Amory? No, I was the opposite. Ah. So I watched the Liverpool game predominantly and flicked over to the City game um, here and there. And I felt you didn't get a proper representation because I think I saw you saying that Liverpool looked wrecked. But I don't I don't know if you can properly judge Liverpool upon yesterday because the goal was so early and the game, it was just so full of emotion and so frantic. There was just shots pinging everywhere. It was kind of like the Villarreal game, as in like you just, you can't really analyse it. Like, I don't know if you can overly analyse it ahead of the Champions League final in in Paris, uh, which is only now five days away. But yeah, like because the goal unsettled them so much and then when it started to seep into the stadium that City were going down, um, as in they went one down and then they went two down, it kind of almost like the emotions kind of calmed down in Anfield and you'd just love to know if Liverpool had gone ahead of Wolves while City uh, were 2-0 down against Villa would that have changed things like would that information have seeped over to the Etihad and it would have been like the title is really 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 like, like City were really losing it they would have been at that stage like that last grasp they had on it would have like like they would have really felt like it was falling away there well, but we'll never know they were anxious all the way through City they yeah. were regardless of what was going on at Anfield but once I think they, they got the first you kind of knew they were going to get the second yeah you felt they would kick on at that stage I mean the substitutions made a big difference as mm. well once Sinchenko came on there was just a much better flow to their performance in some respects Pep Guardiola almost created a car crash it was such an odd team selection he's maybe the greatest manager I've seen Dave and yet Stones at right back and Fernandinho against the obvious ploy of booting the ball over the top for Ollie Watkins to run onto with some kind of pace was always just a bad idea and when you was Zinchenko on the bench I mean Gary Neville was making the point there's the Fernandinho issue 
and his susceptibility to be caught out for pace. That's one. But two, Stones on the ball doesn't have the mobility going forward of Zinchenko and, and City were just so much more fluid after that substitution. So that was an odd decision on Pep's part on this huge day. And then it was a, <laughs> it was a reminder. I mean, you say fourth in five years for Man City and you think it's pretty smooth sailing. But Pep Guardiola almost just bursting out in tears, uh, like this release valve and deciding I'm going to run down the tunnel here to uh, try and compose myself a touch it was an extraordinary insight, I think, into the pressure that he is under. Remarkable day. I mean, echoes of 95 and 2012 and any other finale you care to mention. Yeah, it looked like at one stage it was really going to be a parallel to 95 where both teams failed to win. And obviously the team that had the most points going to the final day just limped over the line. Blackburn were beaten at Anfield and Manchester United failed to win at Upton Park. And at one stage yesterday, City were still top despite the fact that neither team were winning. But the five minutes in which they scored the goals was just, it was incredible. Absolutely brilliant football from them. They obviously brought Sterling onto the right-hand side to stretch Villa down that flank. They did the opposite with Sinchenko down the left-hand side and suddenly Villa looked ragged and you just wonder as you say why Pep Guardiola didn't set out with that game plan from the very start and he has history he has pedigree in this regard of overthinking things of making some peculiar selections uh, not, not just in terms of personnel but in terms of team setup as well it happened in the Champions League on at least two different occasions most notably against Lyon a couple of years ago where they were dumped out in a game that they absolutely should have won but Instead, see the firepower he's able to bring off the bench. Gundogan with that Lampard-like ability to make those late runs into the area and be the right man at the right place at just the right time. Rodri is such a sweet strike with that ball into the bottom corner. And then the way they just managed to shut the game down, which wasn't something they were able to do against Real Madrid, where they just kept chasing and looking for that goal, even though they were already leading in the tie. Last seven or eight minutes, they just kept the ball. Foden was really impressive in yeah. that regard. Kept the ball down in the corner. They they were able to turn the atmosphere on its head from one of absolute elation and pandemonium to assassin-like calm and composure. Let's kill this next eight minutes and do what we need to do. So that was impressive as well. As regards Pep's reaction, if they had vomited all over themselves and failed to win the title yesterday, it would be a season of abject failure. Mm. They mm. should be winning the Premier League every season, given the resources they have at their disposal, given the fact they could just fritter away £100 million on Jack Grealish and he's watching from the bench yesterday. There's absolutely no excuse for City to not win the league. Yeah, Liverpool winning the league would have been a far greater achievement given A, how far back they were four months ago, B, the number of games they've had to play in all the cup competitions, and C, they just don't have the depth of resources financially and in terms of personnel that City have. So City absolutely had to win. And it wasn't more elation from Pep, it was relief. Because he knows that it would have been a write-off of a season had they not got over the line yesterday. And if they hadn't got over the line, it was because they had been beaten mm. by Aston Villa at home, aside in mid-table with nothing to play for. It would have been a shocking set of circumstances from his point of view. In some respects, I thought his reaction at full-time was like delayed reaction, delayed shock, because he had tasted the precipice. He was slumped on his seat and was facing an unmitigated failure. And then there was the elation of the goals and it all happened so quickly and then the full-time whistle. And then I almost think it hit him just how close disaster had been and, and the whole thing was completely overwhelming. 
Yeah, the relief as well, because he obviously, perhaps he knew um, as well, like if they had lost, that it would all come down to his team selection. And he foresaw that. But also his frustrations over the last couple of weeks have been clear, like the press conference where he gave out that everybody wants Liverpool to win. You did just get a sense that it was relief. um, And he absolutely just had to win the Premier League after going out of the Champions League. And to have this Liverpool side breathing down their necks, yeah, it was probably just relief. Like, he's... They've been, like, hot on their tails, essentially, since the end of January. Like, the title race kind of started that night that they dropped points against Southampton. That's the first time people started to suggest perhaps there was something, perhaps there's a vulnerability to them. So there's been four months where he's... It's been boiling over. So yesterday, I think it was just pure sense of relief. Yeah, it felt like yesterday's title was meant more to him than previous years. Contrasting scenes, obviously, at full time. I flicked over to Anfield almost to see how they were treating the situation and it was uh, like manager watch the camera was just on Klopp for the entirety of the I would say almost eight, nine, ten minutes I was watching having flicked over from the Etihad and the scene was just Klopp uh, smiling at all times really and just going around to each player and their families and just getting photos and all of the families like so thrilled to get the photo with Klopp, the players' partners, the kids loving Klopp. Uh, not any conversations, really. He wasn't even saying anything. They would just uh, get in the photo and then you could see as Klopp walked away. <laughs> like the, the partners or the the kids especially were like thrilled to have uh, seen Klopp. And he, he was just, uh, it was a difficult expression to read. I think he was kind of sanguine and philosophical about the whole thing. And then the coverage from Anfield uh, like it transferred over to what was on Sky Sports' main event. So you went from that to, I don't know, like an eight-year-old on a cro- on, a, on, a, on, on like a, a, a goalpost which was being <laughs> snapped in half and oh, <laughs> uh, like just a kind of uh, craziness. The pitch invasion situation is really caught pace, Dave, and it seems the Aston Villa goalkeeper was assaulted in uh, some respect or other. I didn't see the incident and eventually they cleared off. I think the social pressure of well, we do want a trophy presentation kicked in. But um, yeah, that pitch invasion situation is very striking at the moment. Scumbags was the word Roy Keane used. Yeah, wouldn't be like Keane to use pretty uh, strong language and, and and those sorts of terms. But it is a problem that is now becoming a bit too frequent. Mm-hmm. And for many years, the fans have been... Uh, decrying any suggestion that there should be some sort of a barrier returning to Premier League grounds. And it, it, we were getting to the point where the fans were being allowed to stand in certain sections and that everything that we remember from the 80s and 90s when they were being caged in essentially was um, being almost being forgotten about and been put down to a past year. And we know the tragedies that have occurred in stadia over the years because fans had nowhere to go if something was to go wrong. But this is not helping the situation. We saw something similar at the city ground the previous night when Sheffield United played Nottingham Forest and it is happening all too frequently and I'm not sure what you do but it is it's probably difficult to single an entire group of fans out because there was only one or two that are involved in really serious stuff you can understand the relation and everything but it's not fair on the players either this is their moment at the end of a season 38 games of a league season everything else that goes with it they're absolutely exhausted as well as being elated at the full-time whistle and their moment has essentially been taken away from them they can't celebrate together 
they're desperately trying to find some level of security that they can get over to the side of the pitch and get into the change room because you want to be with your teammates in those moments and they're, they're definitely going to have to look at it from the stuff you were saying about Klopp it's interesting whether you support Liverpool or City or you support neither you have to be thankful for the presence of Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp because otherwise the last five years of the Premier League title race would have been an absolute write-off mm. we wouldn't have had a title race mm. City would be five from five now having added uh, Erling Haaland to their ranks and you could be looking another five or six in a row were it not for the presence of this brilliant Liverpool team that have amassed again enough points to have won 90% of the Premier League titles in the history of the last 30 years of of English top flight football so uh, no matter where your allegiances lie be thankful that this Liverpool team is around when it is because otherwise we'd be looking at Liga or the Bundesliga Mm. with one team winning by 10-15 points every year Manchester City are having an investigation into the situation they said there is like uh, something inevitable about them now there's a momentum and there's a copycat quality to them the summer might be a bit of a circuit breaker and nobody's going to storm a pitch after an early league win at the start of next season so that might be the best thing for all concerned we should start the news round that is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day and we have All-Ireland Football qualifier draw Anne-Marie this morning yeah and All-Ireland Champions Tyrone will take on Armagh next Sunday that's the 5th of June in the first round of the All-Ireland Football Qualifiers. The game at the Athletic Grounds will throw in at half past one that afternoon. Elsewhere, Mayo and Monaghan in Castlebar will be on the Saturday afternoon, as will Clare and Meath in Cusick Park. And Porky Cueve is available to host the meeting of Cork and Louth. Any standout one there for you, Dave? Or Matt Tyrone, I guess. Our Matarone and Mayo Monaghan. Yeah, Mayo uh, I think Mayo Monaghan could be an absolutely belter of a game. That's going to be in Castlebar. It'll almost certainly be full on a hopefully a nice summer's evening around six o'clock in uh, in Mayo. Our Matarone, it's obvious to say that they have previous given their long-term rivalry but they have very recent previous given the uh, the rows that erupted at the end of that league game and the suspensions that were meted out afterwards both teams have a serious point to prove Amar were being talked up big time coming into the championship and they let themselves down badly in Bally Buffet a few weeks ago and Tyrone in both their championship matches have been hugely unoppressive took a hammering at the hands of Derry and if anything the scoreline at the full-time whistle in Healy Park actually flattered Tyrone so if they have any metal to them as reigning All-Ireland champions they're going to have to show it against Armagh so they're two ties that I'm really looking forward to and even the other two are there's there's a, there's a lot to like about them as well there's there's there are four teams that will really fancy their chances of advancing to the next round and suddenly you're only a game away from being an All-Ireland quarter-final so your path opens up it's they're they really are mouth-watering I'm really looking forward to them Eric Ten Hag speaking to the media today. Yeah, he had his first press conference as Manchester United manager and he says he doesn't believe he is risking his reputation by taking the job. The Dutchman was officially unveiled today as their fifth boss since the departure of Alex Ferguson. The club has won just three trophies in the intervening nine series and has failed to win the league title in that time. Den Hag's stock is high due to his success with Ajax but he doesn't think he's put it on the line at Old Trafford. This club uh, has a, a great history and now yeah, let's make a future and I'm really exciting to do that with um, the people around eh, who are in the club. We bring some new people in, in the staff. Um, we will analyze the squad and we will go from day to day. Eh, work hard, 100% committed and then I'm sure we will get a success.
Meanwhile, he was also asked today about Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola and their rivalry that has dominated the league for the last number of seasons. In this moment, I, I admire them. I admire them both. Uh, they play in this moment really fantastic football, both uh, Liverpool and Man City. But you will always see uh, um, that yeah, there are, uh, an era can come to an end. And I'm looking forward to battle with them. And I've, I'm sure all the other in the Premier League, uh, all the clubs will want to do that. But can that era come to an end before they decide to leave? I think, yeah. Yeah, best of luck, Eric. He was at the uh, final Manchester United game. Such a, a fitting conclusion to a season to lose against Crystal Palace and be woeful and barely an eyebrow raised across the footballing world, Dave. Yeah, they've become such an irrelevant. It's it's quite incredible. Limping into the group stage of the Europa League, thanks to Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, Manchester United are that team now that need massive favours from the from the likes of Brighton. But you're right, it's 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 a perfect microcosm of their season. Utterly spineless, dreadful set to, set of professionals. Absolutely zero pride. And with every disgraceful defeat that Manchester United have absorbed in the last three months, Eric Ten Hag's job, in my view, becomes easier because. They are at a lower ebb with every week that passes, which makes it easier to go upwards. And he was going into a club that is a complete basket case from top to bottom. The only thing they have going for them are the finances that he will undoubtedly be given to try and improve that squad. But you're looking at them next season. If anything, if they finish seventh or eighth next season, playing even worse football and avoided the ignominy of playing in the Europa League or the Europa Europa Conference League well they'd probably be in even better shape like it's very difficult to see how they could get any worse under him next season and if it does go terribly wrong for him and for some reason they pull the trigger on him after a season or two he can just shrug his shoulders and go I walked into a poisonous place that was rotten from the to the core and no manager could survive there and he will still be able to build on the reputation that he's forged at Ajax which is hugely impressive playing an unbelievably attractive brand of football getting the best out of players that many people had either written off or had never heard of and bringing youth through and youthful players that have gone on to command huge transfer fees so his body of work is impressive either way I think he's right he's not putting his reputation on the line because he's going into a club that can very unlikely mm. fall any further than it currently is. Texan 53106, lots of them flying in. So in no particular order, Joe Klopp could do what Pep has done if he was in charge of City. I don't think Pep could do the same job at Liverpool without the access to the transfer funds he currently has, reckons own in Lucan. Uh, you have to say the performance of Villain Wolves says a lot about the competitiveness of the Premier League. Gone are the days of players going on virtual holiday in mid-March. A lot of players playing for their future. So much money available at these clubs. Palace, Brighton, others all finished the season brilliantly. Only United went on holidays early this season. Uh, three different players, manager assaulted in a week. I never remember a player getting hit in 50 years of GA pitch invasions. Is there something inherent in football culture that adds this thuggery to celebrations, asks a texter. Well, like, I take the point on the fans. I think GA a tuggery on the pitch wouldn't want to get up on its high horse too quickly but I do take the point on the fan situation thankfully I mean in all the years of the amazing on-pitch celebrations we've seen at Crow Park and various other GA stadiums it's always been in exactly the right spirit and, and, and I don't remember any incident um, no can't think of one anyway uh, like City fans yesterday breaking down their own goalposts what's that about is it just like I want a souvenir it's an adrenaline rush I don't know 
worse than well, like, that is a copycat thing you jersey. mentioned it earlier joe yeah they're, they're they're seeing what has happened at many grounds in the past look if you wanted to pinpoint one situation you the 2010 leinster final didn't paint the pitch invaders in a uh, in a very good light when that tyrone referee was trying to leave the field obviously tempers were fraying emotions were running very high after that loud mead leinster final yeah. but you're right in terms of sides that have won a trophy and they the, them crowding around the trophy presentation i can't ever remember an opposition player or player on the losing side being assaulted or being you know yeah. confronted in any way the goalpost thing is mad though and even wasn't there a Champions League final where like the players instead of like I think it was Real Madrid enjoying the celebrations interacting with the fans spent like an unduly long amount of time trying to like cut the netting of the goalposts down okay and I think if you're if you're a player of all the memorabilia and uh, tokens and, and memory you know um, what's the word I'm looking for like uh, souvenirs souvenirs that you would have access to i.e. your football boots your jersey uh, any number of things your, you care to mention your to, medal to cut your the win- netting medal Wait, like, I think I was like vividly Sergio Ramos like cutting the netting for about 15 minutes after a Champions League final jumps to mind I don't know I guess the fans ran on they all take their phone out they do their thing and video themselves and that's just an aspect to it and then I suppose after the euphoria you run out of stuff to do so someone goes sure let's go down to the goalposts and it's like uh, kids in a playground I don't know well there literally was a kid on the crossbar for yeah for, for a good number <laughs> of moments but it's just like not to, like obviously you get like the television shots can be amazing when you get pitch invasions like in terms of the colour and stuff but yeah. the margin like for something to go so badly wrong so fast is so small Well it's law of averages yeah. you just need one idiot and then someone's assaulted like I think to be fair if the goalkeeper incident hadn't happened and I appreciate that Yeah we probably if. wouldn't be talking uh, about it in this extent uh, to this amazing, extent They're yeah. amazing scenes then Okay the goalpost is the goalpost but they're amazing scenes then But like as De Bruyne in particular was brought off like there was just something kind of uncomfortable about seeing that like he's literally yeah. being carried off like he's I don't know like just the idea that something could go wrong so quickly There's a borderline yeah. Yeah, atmosphere just, in the air yeah. No I, I, I take that point Someone says there's a very simple solution to the pitch invasions uh, dock points 5-6 point penalty would be good Fines don't work. They're never large enough, says Mick in Dublin. Imagine that. They've won the league. Oh, no, they haven't. <laughs> uh, somebody says, what a bottle job by Villa. Three goals in five minutes. Utter capitulation. A lot of uh, Liverpool fans, they've had the experience of like, they've supported a good team for such a long time, a long proportion of their lives. And then they understood what it was to rely on Aston Villa. And it's not pretty. I mean, all the emotion we're talking about, uh, the, the Kenny Shields law is just being invoked here at every turn. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. It's it's just giving you kind of a. We've had we've all had all sorts of emotions, and while you've seen them before, you don't get tired of of seeing them. It's um it's something that you could just watch as often as you as you could. You could you'd want to watch it week in week out, but then the fact that they only occur so pleasingly is what probably makes them so special and yeah. so dramatic at the same time. So we should press on. French Open is underway. It's all been very dramatic early on. Yeah, 13-time winner Rafa Nadal is safely through to the second round. He beat Australian Jordan Thompson in straight sets today. World number one and defending champion Novak Djokovic will get his tournament underway tonight. In the women's draw is where all the drama has been as US Open champion Emma Raducanu and Czech Linda Noskova are currently tied at one set apiece. Earlier on, Iga Sviantec booked her place in the next round with a straight set 
Jets win. But there were a couple of big, big shocks as Barbara Krechkova, that's the defending champion, and Naomi Osaka were both knocked out. Krechkova lost in three sets to French woman Diane Parry and Osaka lost in straight sets to American Amanda Anisimova. Speaking afterwards, Osaka said she isn't sure if she'll play in the next major, which is obviously Wimbledon, following the decision to strip the tournament of ranking points. This comes after the banning of Russian and Belarusian players from competing due to the war in Ukraine. Here she is explaining what she thinks of the call. I I would say like the decision is kind of affecting like my mentality going into grass. Like I'm not 100% sure if I'm going to go there. I I would love to go just to get some experience on the grass court, but like at the same time for me, um, it's kind of like, I I don't want to say pointless, no pun intended, but like, (laughs) like I, 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 I'm the type of player that gets motivated by like seeing my ranking go up or like you know stuff like that. So I think the intention was really good, but the execution is kind of all over the place. She used to talking about Wimbledon here. Yeah, I feel that's a little bit selfish by her. Like it's a call that's been made, obviously because of what's happening in Ukraine, and she says that she agrees with the call, but the execution of it is what she disagrees with. But go play in the tournament and show your backing for the call. Yeah, that's very odd. I just so. I, but yeah, like I who have thought considers points. Wimbledon in terms of no. ranking points? You're no, in centre yeah. court with the trophy, and your first yeah. thought is all the ranking points I'm going to get tomorrow morning. You know, it's uh, it's strange, and so she lost in. Straight sets, Straight no. Sets today, yeah. No reason as to what's going on in her game or explanation as such. No, she wasn't overly pressed upon it in okay. the press conference, which is obviously interesting because of the relationship she's had with yeah. the press in the last twelve months. But she didn't seem to offer any kind of explanation in terms of what happened in the match, or like she said that that's just life. Sometimes things don't work out. Yeah. That it was her plan to come to France and for everything to be great but it didn't happen and then it was just on to the next part part of the press conference yeah okay uh, we'll I'm sure be chatting to maybe Luke Jensen across the course of the French Open just before we go Dave we uh, had a Golf Weekly watch along with you on Sunday at that stage we were bemoaning what had been a fairly dull tournament in many ways and the disappointment of Rory and then it's fair to say it all caught fire in the last few hours last night amazing finish Justin Thomas second major yeah it's it's it just shows you the importance of just hanging around like a bad smell at a major championship Tiger Woods did it brilliantly for so long you know that if you could just stick around for long enough someone is likely to make a mistake that would bring you into contention it's the reason Rory McIlroy one of them hasn't won a major in eight years because he doesn't have that ability just to stick around like Justin Thomas did yesterday and you know play that course and three under par get himself to five under into the clubhouse then you need something dramatic to happen and unfortunately the fall guy was made up Pereira who just played so wonderfully well for so long pulls the driver out of the bag in 18 not that I have an issue with the call to go with driver he would have left himself an awful long way back for his second shot had he gone down to maybe a long iron or something but Oh, it was heartbreaking, and and it just it almost seemed to happen in slow motion. He hit, he didn't just hit a poor drive; he hit four or five bad shots on the 18th that still should have seen him even in the water make a playoff. I mean, he failed to reach the green off a second, then he chips through the green, then he under hits his putt, and 
And then it was just once he actually got the ball into the hole, you could see the colour draining from his face and the re- realisation of what has just happened. He'll be for, forever remembered as the guy that bottled it on the 72nd hole of Southern Hills. And Justin Thomas was there to um, to benefit from it. Obviously, he had to get over Zalatoris mm. in the playoff, but he played the, some beautiful golf in the playoff, Thomas. And yeah. It's five years on. He's got a second major. They're both PGA Championships, though. For him to be classed as a truly great player, I think if you're a multiple major championship winner, there has to be one of the other three in there as well somewhere. Okay. Uh, so uh, Pep full of performative nonsense, trying to play the underdog with his one billion squad, says Steve. Yeah, maybe there's a degree of that. And then, uh, hi Joe, it was PK in Barcelona. Did the same after the 2010 World Cup and the 2012 Euros, says Shane and Cavan. And then Ian in Dublin. PK started the nonsense with the cutting of the nets for Spain in the Euros and World Cup. Ian, Shane, thank you. Yes, PK. What a waste of this valuable time, these valuable moments. I'm cutting the net. I mean, where's the net now? Does he have the net anymore? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Definitely Is not. it his thing? Like, how, mo- how, how much, what how many do nets with? does he have in the house? What would you even do with the netting? I don't know. <laughs> Show it to people when they come round. That's the that's a portion of the net. You'd have to like you'd have my to mark my which one is which because all nets look the same. But think how many other souvenirs he has. I know. There's I my know. boots. There's my jersey. Well, he's probably the only person who collects nets. So. Hang up on a, on a wall, or I don't know, Joe. What would you say? That <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You could frame it and have a lot, nice little marking. This is from this Champions League final. Or hey, Shakira, look, I framed some netting. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we're out of time. Dave McIntyre, pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. And Marie, thanks, Mel. Thank you.